You're listening to On Human Rights, where we interview experts from around the world on the most important issues and trends in the fields of human rights and humanitarian law. We're broadcasting from the Rao Wallenberg Institute of Human Rights and Humanitarian Law in Lund, Sweden. I'm Gabriel Stein. Today we're speaking to Johan Hessel. He's the CEO of Global Utmaning, or in English, Global Challenge. This is an independent think tank that promotes long-term solutions to crises and challenges. He's also a member of the Swedish delegation for the UN's 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us uh, what Global Utmaning is, for those of us who don't know? Global Utmaning, or Global Challenge, then, is an independent think tank, and we're working with long-term solutions to global challenges, or what some people would call and frame megatrends, like digitalization, climate changes, what is happening with inside our financial economical system, uh, what is the development regarding uh, social sustainability, inequalities, and, and so on. So we try to look at this, what is happening on a global perspective, how does that affect Sweden uh, as a society, and how does policy and political decisions need to change in order to become more sustainable uh, in the long run. So, so we, as a think tank, then write a couple of reports every year, we try to do a lot of conversations, public seminars, and uh, it's very good at gathering as a platform people from both the business community, uh, from the political side, from civil society, and then, of course, from academia. Since as a think tank, you try to bridge knowledge to uh, policy, uh, which means looking into academic literature and then trying to frame it uh, to a political context for politicians to, to adopt it uh, and push the conversation forward. Why are you interested in this work? How would you get into it? Well, me as a background is partly political and I've been working with international issues and with development aid and a bit framing from it. And, and uh, I always found that the research was a bit too narrowed. Uh, and then at the same time that I thought policy were more, you know, fun than politics in the sense that it's more fun looking at what kind of policy decisions should be taking than, than how do you win the next election. So, so you know, I have a you know, deep um, worry and, and at the same time as an optimist regarding what we as a society can achieve. And then it's, uh, then it's great having the opportunity to work with these change-driving issues. What are you worried about? What I'm worried about today, that is how the, par- how the world is actually drifting apart, the, that we can see that we have this huge challenge when it comes to climate, how we're hitting our planetary boundaries, that we can see that inequality is rising and that there is a lot of people who feel, you know, not fate uh, in the future that is coming, that we can see that we have very large and important geopolitical shifts, which uh, decisions makers on a global level doesn't seem to be able to, you know, intervene in that the world is structured differently than after the Second World War and it's not really reflected, that we have a lot of movement when it comes to people and migration, which is a great opportunity for society as a whole. But it frightens people because, you know, it, it means that uh, values, cultures and so on is challenged. And, and we're not really a society yet that can take hold of that and embrace that and see it as an opportunity. And, and that is because people feel that people is worried about their future and their, especially their socioeconomic anxiety. Uh, you know, what about my pension? What about my work? And what about my children? Uh, and so on. 
So, you know, I, I think we're living in a time in great shifts and, and, um, and, uh, and it's a bit drifting apart. And, and that is partly ironic because at the same time, uh, society today have more knowledge than ever. Uh, we, you know, we have experienced a lot. We, we have constructed welfare societies. We have constructed a liberal market economy. We're very skilled and know exactly the meaning of human rights, but we are not always practicing it. And, and, and I think it's interesting in trying to frame that so people get more aware of what could happen, more aware of their rights and, and what can be achieved. Uh, so we try to take some steps forward regarding that. So you've really decided to go after challenges which are pretty easy to solve, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's you know, that's, uh, that's <laughs> uh, you know, but, but I think, you know, every, uh, everyone can do, you know, can do their task. And, and, and hopefully, you know, if we can provide, you know, some insight, provide some suggestions, then I think we're doing our part. And I think one of the reasons why we collaborate with a lot of different organizations and also companies and why we're politically independent. That is because we actually realize that we are not, you know, we are not the decision makers. We cannot make it on our own. And I would just wish that more people had that awareness because then you would have more, you know, partnerships, more collaboration, and then we could achieve a lot. So, so yeah, we, we, we take up the big challenges and if we can help a bit, uh, then we're happy, but uh, we're, we're aware that, you know, it's, it's not a single hand job. You mentioned before the fear and the anxiety, and one of the things you mentioned is also the, the splitting apart of society. You know, today, it's no surprise that we have these two very different dialogues, these two very different narratives going on about how globalization is affecting the world. How, you know, and you're in a, uh, we can't help it, we're all in a certain bubble. Um, you're in development world. You know, I'm talking to you from the Raoul Wallenberg Institute, which is in human rights world. I mean, these are bubbles. How do we get to the people who we need to get to to change their minds about the things that we need to change their minds? How do we get to the people who are worried, who are maybe voting for more authoritarian figures uh, and who are worried about their life and their livelihood and their children, but they don't see any other politicians coming up with any good answers or good policies that are, that are going to help their lives? Well, you know, first of all, I, I think that's really the question uh, to put forward. And I think we've been seeing this trend for, for quite a while. And, and what happened with Brexit and what happened with Trump made it very immediate. And, and, and now if you're looking in France, for example, I mean, people is happy and is celebrating that Macron was elected president and not Le Pen at the same time as Le Pen, you know, reached more support than ever. And if you're looking in the Swedish climate, you can see that the Swedish Democrats, for example, is arising. So, so I think it's, you know, absolutely correct. And, and I think uh, your way of framing it as a bubbles are, are also true. I usually talk uh, about we're living inside of a sustainability bubble and that when I'm speaking to this kind of crowd, I'm trying to frame it just like you, that, you know, we have a responsibility to reaching out to the other side, uh, those who are feeling anxious and, and that is perhaps not that certain of, of the future. And I think one, one first step is realizing that it's, that it's actually us uh, with inside of this bubble who has to reach out. It's not them, uh, if, you, if you, you know, using that terminology, which haven't understood. It's sort of like us not reaching through. And I think partly what is important in this is realizing that we're looking at the world and we're looking at development from different perspectives. 
And most of them who is in our bubble is looking at it from a decently privileged area, mostly well-educated people, middle class, uh, with an awareness, and which is perhaps not holding the socioeconomic anxiety which other is holding. So I think that has not been, you know, that has been the conversation that's been driving the political discussion, also journalism, and also policy institutes uh, like yours and mine, uh, which, is, which is part of framing the public opinion. So there's been a disconnection uh, between a lot of people in society, and that has been used by those who are holding a very populist, racist, and even fascist message. And that's been very skilled. And I think this is a struggle that is for real. And I think it's partly a struggle that is about democracy. Uh, but it cannot only be about democracy. It also has to be that the democratic forces is putting forward a struggle between different realistic uh, visions about the future. And, and politically-wise, how could that be achieved? So I think the first thing that we need to do, and we have not really done so, that is realizing that uh, people is worried for real and that they have real concerns. It's, it's, not, you know, it's not just about communication, social media, artificial intelligence being used in, a, in an election campaign. It is about real issues. And, and I think that is partly because policy and politicians have a tendency of always being you know, very positive and at the same time sort of like frightening people. But there is not so many people and institutions who manage to explain what kind of transition are we standing ahead of. That is trying to explain that, you know, climate change, hold a lot of things that is really concerning. But if we do this transition to uh, renewable energy, we try to mitigate climate, we try to, you know, find different ways of consuming and living, that holds great opportunities and it holds a lot of great jobs. So there is a new narrative and a new story which needs to be formed uh, in order to be able to reach out to people so that they feel that they are also part of this, of this new narrative uh, which, which will reshape uh, economics and our societies. Do you see that happening today? Do you see groups trying to reach out with the new narrative to the groups who are finding themselves left behind? Not really. And, and I think that is partly because if you're looking at the political discussion, it's very much based on uh, the 20th century industrialization. Uh, and the political parties, both on the right side and the left side, and also the emerging green parties, haven't been able to, to frame that discussion, which is where climate is more, uh, it's not a question about environment. Uh, it's for mainly a question about uh, uh, business strategies, new kinds of innovation and economics. And where welfare society today looks a lot differently because you will hold a lot of jobs, you will need constant upgrading of your skills and uh, a new kind of social inclusion because people are moving in a different way. And, and that story, that narrative is not really part of the discussion. And, and, and that, I think, is being caught up by those... Uh, new parties, populist parties, or, you know, whatever we, we tend to call them, which then is reflecting back to uh, a reality that was 30, 40 years ago, which is even older than today's political parties. But there is, there is not so many that is, that is holding this new narrative, a new story. Uh, the 2030 agenda and these 17 goals for sustainable development in somehow does. But it's a very abstract United Nations process goals which have been formed by the people which is living in this sustainability bubble. So I think those goals um, 
are, you know, not standalone and they need to be framed in each society so they become relevant and it's goals that need roadmaps of how is this transformation of society going to take place. But I think they represent the best knowledge and perhaps the best narrative that we have regarding what is what is a realistic future that we're aiming at. And I think it's kind of interesting that that is not goals that is set up for developing part of the world or the developed part of the world, east or west, but it's a framework that is actually relevant for everybody. Then I don't think that these goals are, you know, well known, neither by the politicians who took the decision about them or about most of the policymakers, because most of the policymakers or institutions like you and me, we're still looking at what is my goal and doesn't really understand that it's, that it's the, the complete picture of all of the 17 goals and how they integrate, which is the story, not just one goal. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and there I think we need a way. But I think that is an agenda which is not politicized, even, it's, even if it's political, uh, which could actually hold a, a new kind of narrative. It's interesting uh, that you you talk about that because I think uh, in our bubble, you know, people throw around the term Agenda 2030, the Sustainable Development Goals, as if everyone knows about them. Reality is most people don't. But you're on the Swedish delegation for the Agenda 2030 delegation. Can you tell us a bit about that work? Yeah, I mean, we were set up by the government in order to provide a roadmap for what is, how is Sweden going to work on its implementation of these goals both domestically in Sweden, which is the main focus, but also what efforts should Sweden put forward with inside of the international community. And I think we concluded that, it's, that this is you know, a path towards sustainable welfare in Sweden, where it's a different kind of development of the welfare state, which needs to be inclusive in a different, different way in a globalized community. And it's sustainable in the sense that you know, we can see that climate is changing uh, the economical structure and economical environment. So, so in Sweden, I think it's, it's firm of labeling it as sustainable welfare. One of the things that we looked at is exactly what you say, that most people don't know what this is all about. And therefore, we suggested that you, know, you need to have a lot of educational efforts and you need to give resources to different kinds of civil society actors, both old and new, in order to work on these goals and make them aware. Uh, but also then strengthening citizens' awareness of them so that they can push the politicians in order to take the long-term decisions uh, because they are in somehow still being very short-based regarding that. So I think we are delivering a report here now in May which is defining a couple of uh, areas of focus which we think is very relevant in Sweden